So in our gospel today, we have somewhat similarly to, to, to yesterday's gospel, a gospel which, which has a, a very deep meaning as regards the, the, the passion, the passion which we're preparing for now in this season of Lent. <clears throat> so Jesus tells a parable, the parable of the, the landowner who gives his land to tenants and he prepares everything for them, right? So the, the land that they have, they don't have to necessarily work it very hard. A lot of the work is already done, okay? It's already fenced. The wine press is already dug. There's already a tower. So they have everything they need. Everything that they, they need and could want has been provided for them. All they have to do is whatever you do with grapes, I don't know, prune and harvest and squash and leave it ferment and bottle it. Right? So all, all, but most of the, all the preparatory work was done for them. Okay? So then, then he leaves, <coughs> and as, as, as would be uh, normal, uh, sends his servants periodically to collect the produce. That's, you know, you're, you're, you're a tenant, you don't own the thing, you just work there. So you have to work for your, for your boss, produce whatever's expected of you, and then give that to the, to, to the, to the servants when, when they're sent. Now, their reaction, the reaction of the tenants is just so violent, right? The servants are sent to pick up the produce uh, from this vineyard. They thrash one, so they beat up one. They kill another, and they stone a third, as opposed to just saying, you know, when the servants arrive at the gate, um, lads, you're not getting in here. You can just go away. We're not giving you anything. You know, we, we've decided to take over. You know, so just go back to the boss uh, and say, not interested, right? But you don't actually have to kill them, right? So, like, their reaction is so... These are not good people. These are really not good people. Okay, now, but the, the, the landowner doesn't give up. And so he sends his son. He sends his son. They will respect him because he is my son. So when they send... When he sends the son, what, 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 what do those tenants say? This is the heir, come on, let us kill him and take over his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Again, these are really not good people. And then the Lord asks the question, what will, what will the landowner do? I said, what do these, these tenants deserve, right? After all that they have been given, after even like such being been forgiven almost the, their first offence, of uh, thrashing, killing, and stoning the first set of servants. Like, what do they deserve? I mean, I think within all of us, hopefully, I mean, if, we've, if we've read the gospel passage, you think, well, they don't deserve anything good. They don't deserve forgiveness because they haven't asked for it. They don't deserve any sort of blessing or, or like, they don't deserve anything. And so, rightly so, uh, the people at the time say, well, the landowner will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And so the Lord then says, it was the stone rejected by the builders that has become the cornerstone. He's talking about himself. He is the son sent into that vineyard to, to collect what? Well, not produce in the, in the standard sense. I mean, like the Lord doesn't need us to build anything or write anything or he doesn't need any of that from us. Uh, but he does want to, if you will, collect, harvest faith. Love. That's what he's looking for. When he, when he comes to, to meet us, he's looking for, for love. So he is, 
fenced, he has given us the vineyard, he has fenced around it, he has dug the wine press, he has built the tower. What does that mean? He has given us all of, all of creation. He has given us a beautiful world to live in. He has given us good people in our lives. We don't need 10 million people who love us or know us. We just need a few. And we have them. We have them. We have them. There are people out there who know us and love us. There are. And he's given us all the grace that we could possibly want from the cross. We have what we need. The, that's the easy part, though. Us being, being given things for free, that's, that's easy. But he does expect us to do something with it. But not in, a, not in a kind of a mechanical way that, or not in, a, not in an unjust way that he gives us gifts but then kind of expects something in return. That's, that's not really it. But he does want us to love him. He wants us to love him. He wants our hearts. That's, that's not a bad thing because, because in loving him we accomplish what we were created to do. In loving God, we accomplish what we were created to do. I was made to praise him. I was made, I was created to be with him for all eternity in heaven and praise him until, for, for, for days unending. That's what I was made to do. So anything else is, is, is a substitute, anything else is inferior, anything else is secondary. I was made to praise God. So in, in, in loving him and praising him, that's, that accomplishes my, my, the deepest vocation that I have. Recently, um, we were watching a, a video produced by a guy called John Eldridge, who, who writes books for, for uh, men and the masculine journey. And as part of this, this series, they interviewed a man who... well. That's a, that, Basically, the, the scene is that there's a men's group and they're talking about their, their various experiences. And uh, this one guy described his own story where when he was in high school, secondary school, as we call it, uh, his focus was always <clears throat> the girls. You know, at the break times or probably during class as well. Uh, his focus was always the girls at school and how to impress them. And then uh, in, in, in college then as well, you know, how to, how to impress, how to look good, and how to also, as he said it, I thought it was very, very important, very insightful, the way he, he described it. I sought my validation from the attention of girls. The more girls liked me, the more I felt good about myself. If girls didn't like me, then I didn't feel good about myself. I needed them to affirm me. Okay, so eventually, anyway, he met this one girl that he <clears throat> was very in love with, well, fell for, and then tried to win her heart and so on and so forth. Elaborate dates and lots of wonderful, beautiful flowers and whatever else you do. Um, and uh, so they started going out and eventually uh, got married within a very short time, actually. He was 20 years of age when they got married. And then he said, wow, so here we go. Uh, I've won the girl's heart. I'm married. What now? What now? He said, I felt like a boy. And kind of he was. I mean, he was twenty, so no offense. Uh, but like, but I mean, he. But you know, at twenty, to be a husband and and father, that's pretty young. I mean, it's doable. It's doable. It's doable. Uh, but he said, because my, my focus was always on on on, on so winning her heart to receive my own validation. But now I'm fi- I find myself in a situation where that's not going to be the case anymore. Because now now I have to give. I have to come into this marriage 
not looking for her to validate me, but coming to the marriage using kind of my, my strength to support her and my child, or children as, 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 as it was. And he said, I just felt completely, completely overwhelmed, completely, over, completely unprepared for this. So he said, my, my, my reaction was to, to find my validation somewhere else. So he was involved, he was, they're from Denver, Colorado, so lots of mountains and skiing there. So he used to find his validation then in going climbing. You know, and then the boys said, oh, well done, you, you, you went up this hill or this cliff face with no rope or whatever it was. You know, receiving his validation from other people or trekking or hiking or camping. He escaped. He was escaping from his family. Okay? And he saw that his family then were starting to kind of, he was starting to drift from his own family. And everything that he had kind of wanted and, 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 and worked for was starting to kind of slip out of his, out of his grip. But he didn't know what to do or how to get it back. You know, he saw his, his children starting to grow up, but he, he was becoming more and more distant from them. So anyway, one of his friends said to him, well, asked him, how are you getting on? He said, look, I, 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 not, good, not good, not good. I'm just feeling more and more disconnected from my family. And this friend of his said to him, he said, delight in what they delight in. So as regards your children, delight in what they delight in. So whatever interests your children, be interested in that. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll try that. So he went home and his, one of his little girls was big into Irish dancing. And like this, you know, this guy's into camping and hiking and you know, manly stuff. And then his daughter's into Irish dancing Yay. <laughs> so then he'd watch these videos of you know, Irish dancers and his little daughter then started going to practice and training and all of it. And um, so he started to take an interest, started to watch these videos with her, started to bring her to her practices and then she started competing and then he realised that there are these Irish dancing dresses in Ireland, also in the States, are ridiculously expensive. They're about as expensive like, as a wedding dress. They're like hand-carved out of one piece of wool. I don't know how it works. Uh, but they're just really, really expensive, right? So he said, no, no, there is no... Like, in his own head, he was like, there is no way. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to pay that much for an Irish dancing dress. I mean, and besides, she's like eight, so she'll outgrow it in two years. She won't fit into it anymore. So he was thinking to himself, nah, no, 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 I'm not doing this, not doing this. But the words came back to him, delight in what they delight in. All right, all right, okay, okay, okay. So he bought the dress and then went to the various competitions and she started winning and she started doing very well. Okay, long story short, she's now in her upper teens and is number one in Denver and was number two or three in some of the world finals, a very accomplished Irish dancer. But he just said, because of my fear and my selfishness, right, I was going to deprive her of that because this was taking my time, this was taking my money. So I could have, I was, I was tempted to decide that this is, just, this is a waste of time. And just kind of push all that. I could have deprived her of all of that by my selfishness, he said. And it just kind of gave me an insight into, into God's heart, right? Into God's heart who delights in you. Not because you're like, I mean, who cares about Irish dancing? Wonderful tradition, blah, 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 blah and all that. But who, no, the, the, the point isn't Irish dancing. The point is the father delights in his child. The point is your father delights in you. 
that is the point. God the Father delights in you. So, I mean, and, and that's, I don't know, it's sometimes it, that's, that's such a simple thought maybe that it kind of goes over our head. That means that like if you're baking in a kitchen and that wonderful aroma of fresh bread or buns is filling the house and you're doing so out of love for God, your Father delights in you. He's happy that you're, you know, doing something that, that, that brings joy. This isn't sinful. This is a good act of service. If you're playing music and it lifts people's hearts, the Father delights in you. If you're in a, in, in a chapel and, 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 and you're like joining the hands of your heart in prayer and you are united with your Father, your Father delights in you. Your Father delights in you every time you do something out of love for him. Every time we, we like, and we can do this so often during the day, you know, all of the actions that we do, if we're in an office or if we're out cutting grass, all these things, all these actions out of love, all of these actions out of love, and the Father delights in us. Because if we don't know that, if we don't live that, how can we ever respond to him with love? If we don't know where the Father delights in us, then our day, maybe at best, is trying not to break his rules. That's a miserable existence. That's, that's, that's not even close to the, the freedom and the joy that we're supposed to have as Catholics. But the Father delights in you. He delights in you. Even when you're actually doing nothing important at all, even when you're sleeping in a really not weird way, your father is looking at you and delighting in you. Like, like you know, parents always get gooey-eyed watching their children sleep, just looking at them in, in, in the cot. Aren't they lovely? Well, maybe your father thinks the same thing about you, even though you're a little bigger. You know, but why not? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he delight in you? Now, he, and he's not blind. He knows the occasions when you've messed up, the occasions when you've kicked and screamed, the occasions when you didn't really maybe want to be with him. He knows those occasions too. He sees them. But if, I mean, if you've ever seen like parents, good parents with their children, they're so quick to forget the occasions where their, 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 their children messed up. And so quick to affirm the good and see the good and delight in the good. And this is our father. So like when, 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 we're, when we're praying, this is who we're focused on, this is who we should be focused on, the Father who delights in me. And so in, in my own prayer, then in my own heart, like, you know, this, this, this amazing world that we have within us, this amazing ability we have to pray and to, to go beyond the physical reality around us and to be united with our Father who delights in us. And we can do this in the blink of an eye, at any moment in the day. Father, I love you. Father, I know you see me. Father, I'm honored and, and humbled that you would delight in me because I'm, I'm only me. And what would the Father say to you in that moment? And I think he would say what he said about Jesus. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And if we can live that, our prayer changes. If we can live that, our day changes. And if we can live that, our whole lives change. Because everything is lived in this reality, this perspective. I am loved by God I am, he delights in me.
he's happy to see me. My day is not about rules. My day is about love. Then whatever comes, if it's if, if the sickness or health or wealth or poverty, whatever may come, whatever life may throw at us, we're, we stay with our Father. And the storms will pass. So we ask the Lord today to lead us to the heart of his Father who delights in each one of us, who knows our needs and will provide for them, who knows our hearts and longs for the love that only, I, that only we can give him. May we grow and deepen in our faith today and deepen that love and selfless, selflessness towards him that he deserves. May we give him our hearts and may we know, may we know how he delights in us. Amen.